Welcome to another episode of Marvel's Voices. I am your host, Angelique Roche. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, I am so excited because today I am digitally sitting down with two incredible creators who also happen to be part of the Marvel Universe, Rebecca Rowanhorse and Rishoyo Alvitri, two indigenous American creators and part of the cast of Marvel's first ever comic celebrating the work of indigenous creators and spotlighting indigenous characters. Marvel's Voices, Indigenous Voices, number one. For those of you who are new to their work, here is a little bit about these two incredible women. Rebecca Rowanhorse is a New York Times best-selling fantasy writer with more than several awards and honors to her name. She's done everything from short stories to novels, comics, and has even written for TV for places like Amazon Studios, Netflix, and Paramount TV. Rishoyo is a comic book artist and illustrator who has been working in the field for over 15 years, contributing to award-winning books such as Umbrella Academy, which you may also know from its popular Netflix adaptation. She's also illustrated several pieces focused directly on her First Nation heritage, including an educational game called When Rivers Were Trails, meant for Indigenous peoples' curriculum worldwide. Together, these incredible women created a story starring one of my favorite Marvel characters, Echo, uh, a Native American superhero and person with a disability. Uh, For those of you who don't know, she's actually one of the very few superheroes who is deaf. And one of the coolest things about Echo is that her superpower is that she's not just a badass, but is also a mimic who can perfectly copy the talents and movement of other people like becoming a concert-level pianist, speaking multiple languages, and having advanced skills in multiple martial arts. Created by David Mack and artist Joe Quesada in 1989, Echo has been an important part of the Marvel Universe for decades. All right, all right, enough for me and enough of me gushing about Echo and these two incredible women. Let's just get to this amazing conversation with Rebecca and Rishoya. Yo, so I'm here with two of the most talented women I've ever sat down with. Um, and we'll start off with Rebecca. Oh, okay. Uh, hi, my name is Rebecca Roanhorse. Uh, and I write stories about magic and superpowers and badass women uh, taking control, sometimes being a little bit, you know, vulnerable, uh, but being in charge. No one can see how excited I am about writing stories about magic, and it's just great. Um, and Wishoyo. Uh, hi, my name is Wishoyo Alvitre, and I draw comic books for a living and somehow managed to <laughs> feed my family that way. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's so cool and it's so dope because both of you have these careers that I think if we knew at five years old, these were careers that we could have. We just would have known what we were going to be when we grew up. Like, it's amazing. So, Rebecca, um, you do a lot. You write You write a lot of magical stories. It's not like you write a couple magical stories. Like, you have full series. You have award-winning novels. Um, critically acclaimed. Like, I, I like, I like these terms <laughs> because it's like, not only do you write about badasses, you 
are a badass. Like you've even written for Rick Riordan's Presents, which is such a cool imprint brought out by Disney. Like one, do you sleep? And two, like, you know, what was it about the art form of writing that was just like, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. I want to be a writer. Well, you know, I actually became a professional writer late in life. Uh, I'd always been writing for myself, like through all my other iterations of my careers. Uh, I've been a lawyer. I've been a computer programmer. Uh, but only now, you know, in the past few years did I become a professional writer. Uh, and I think it was just because the stories like couldn't stay with me any longer. I had to write. I had to get them out. Uh, and, you know, I didn't have a lot of role models growing up of women of color writing genre. So writing yeah. science fiction and fantasy. Uh, and there's still not that many, but there's so many more now than there were uh, when I was a kid or when I was younger. Uh, and so I didn't even realize that could be a career for me. Uh, until much later. Uh, but then, you know, folks like N.K. Jemisin, uh, who's amazing uh, science fiction fantasy author, uh, sort of opened up the doors, uh, showed us what was possible. Uh, and, you know, I knew that that's what I wanted to do, what I was meant to do. Uh, so I sort of fell into professional writing um, accidentally, but I've always been a writer. The written word has always appealed to me. I love that because I too am a recovering lawyer who did not know that this was a career uh, when I was a kid. Um, and I love that you mentioned N.K. Jemison because um, folks like N.K. Jemison and Nettie Okorafor are also writing comics now, right? They are in this field. They're telling these stories that are also inherently visual because they are about magical beings and speculative worlds and these beautiful things that are inside of our heads. And I kind of want to go with Shoyo, like, You've been doing this for 15 years. Like you have done illustrations and comics. This is not your first time at the rodeo. What, I mean, Umbrella Academy at the mountains base, like so many cool projects for you. Why comics? I think ultimately it's telling a story and having the freedom to control characters and settings and clothing and so many aspects of the story that if you were to work in film or if you were to work in perhaps novel writing, you you may be under the jurisdiction of, you know, somebody else or another partnership. So comics really, you know, has, has the freedom to um, give you an entire world and you have control over that whole world, including how you manipulate time back and forth too through panels and stuff. So I think that's what really, really interests me with comic book format. Um, I have a history in animation too. And um, animation is very similar to comics, but there are certain things that you kind of have to hand off to other people. Um, and there's a lot of trust involved in that. And you don't always have the final product looking like maybe what you'd want it to look like unless you do everything on your own. Whereas comics, it's kind of all you unless you hand it off to an, an inker uh, colorist. But um, that's one of the things I really love is being able to have that control over what you put out. I mean, that's really amazing because it 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 you really are a team. Both of you have come together to tell this really cool Echo story. Um, fans of Echo are are so happy to see her back on pages. You know, how did this come about? Why Echo story? Let's throw that out first because um, there's so many characters to pull from for the Marvel universe, uh, but Echo has such a cool legacy. 
Well, so actually Marvel uh, came to me and asked me if I wanted to write an Echo story. So they brought the um, suggestion. Uh, and I was familiar with her, but I became more familiar uh, after they pitched the idea. And I absolutely fell in love with the character. Uh, she's so cool. She's so very much sort of in my wheelhouse of characters that I like to write. I understand why they thought of me uh, when they thought uh, to write this story. She often gets, you know, mixed up in these these love stories that are uh, less than uh, satisfying from her perspective. So I do sort of reference her past a little bit when we open, you know, the the story. And I tried to write a story that yeah, was in dialogue with those previous iterations of Echo. Uh, but she's so rich and she's so she has so much potential. Uh, and I just thought it would be exciting, you know, to write her character. And I think that kind of creativity also really goes in how Echo is depicted as well, like how she's drawn, her features, what she's wearing, her movements. And Rishoya, were there things for you that draw you drew you particularly to the character or that you felt like you really wanted to bring across in creating the story? Yeah, um, I've sort of been a fan of the character since she debuted, you know, way back. And uh, when David Mack was doing the artwork for it, I I absolutely loved uh, when they kind of handed off the art to Joe Quesada. And he did this really kind of elaborate, kind of abstracted style um, to bring out her, her ethnicities and just some of her features to show that she wasn't, you know, your typical... Barbie looking character that she, she had, you know, darker skin, different, different features altogether. And that she was a dancer and she was malleable. So I, I tried to kind of give it a little bit of a nod to that and to keep her looking like, you know, an indigenous person and not somebody that was just cookie cutter from, you know, what you would expect women to look like, but also to use her dance background um, to show her strengths and all her knowledge as a fighter and stuff. And yeah, so that was kind of what I added to the the artwork for this. I love it. I'm not going to lie. Um, she is currently the background uh, of my computer from the comic because the physicality of the character is so pronounced uh, in how she is depicted here. Um, not just like how her face looks and how her hair falls, but literally I, I would I would not want to mess with Echo. <laughs> I love that Rebecca wrote in the script too, like all these different specific moves. Like, I love that. So I went and I Googled and she gave me reference to a lot of the fight scene moves and stuff, very particular. And so, um, you know, Rebecca really did her homework on that that aspect of it, which I loved. And some of them I was, you know, unaware of. So I had to do my homework and watch <laughs> YouTube videos and stuff. But I love that. And so Rebecca, I kind of want to talk about these notes that you put in a script because for a lot of people... They get the final comic book. They don't realize this all starts with a pitch and it all starts with a script. And that, you know, you hand that script over to an artist and that artist does their thing. Um, but is this your first comic book, one? And then how did you approach those scripts and why did you feel it was, if, what did you feel was important to bring across? Yeah, well, this is my first comic book. Absolutely. I always think of myself as sort of a visual writer. When I'm writing, the scene sort of plays out in my head and it's my job just to get it down on paper. Uh, and so I was absolutely thrilled to be uh, paired with an artist, particularly someone like Lashoyed, who could really bring that to life. Because I don't think there's anything more satisfying for a writer than to see their stuff visualized, to, to see it on the paper, like fan art or comics or whatever it is. It's just a whole different level of like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. 
Uh, and so that was just, it's just been a pleasure to, to work with Wachoya on this. And, you know, for me, I thought it was very important to capture her physicality. Uh, you know, just like we've all said, she's a dancer. She's strong. Uh, I love this idea, you know, that, you know, uh, the, the story opens and she, there's um she's in a fight. Yes. Uh, against, I think, three or four men. And she doesn't only just hold her own, but she kicks ass. I looked up all these moves, <laughs> all these like martial arts moves that she could be doing and, and, you know, watched YouTube videos, like how they worked and tried to find stills that was showing it could work from uh, that she could be inspired by uh, to sort of capture those moves. Uh, and so like, that's half the fun is trying to, to see those things come to life, see those things visualized. Uh, I mean, you just shouldn't mess with a girl while she's on her cell phone. I'm just saying <laughs> like, sometimes you just need to leave people like, let them be and don't <laughs> underestimate anyone. <laughs> Especially when all those, all those texts are coming in from all your exes or like dudes who want something from you. And then these guys show up, you know, in the alley and they want something from her too. And she's just like, you know what? I'll give you something. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Also, the, in my head, I just want to say she got texts from her exes. <laughs> <laughs> It had to happen. I'm sorry. It had to happen. <laughs> I love a good pun. Um, so I love this because there definitely is this matriarchal and feminist aspect to the story that is not typically, as you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, Rebecca, it's not typically been an element in Echo storylines. Um, what made each of you want to explore that? And what do you think was like a little bit of a touch that like pushed that storyline forward that you were able to add now to canon? Wow. Um, yeah, you know, it just felt right to me. You know, I, I think, you know, as I've mentioned before, I, I feel like Echo, uh, her potential wasn't really explored in previous comics. She was often the girlfriend. Uh, she often, none of the relationships worked out, right? Whether she was with Moon Knight or Daredevil or whoever. Um I mean, but also look at those exes. Let's, let's. Uh, <laughs> that, that is a valid point. <laughs> so I wanted her to do something that was separate uh, from all of that. I wanted to give her a story that was very cleanly her story. Uh, and while she does have one uh, sort of male figure, you know, that, that is, that is in this story, uh, Captain Marvel is in the story. Uh, and so that's, I'm going to leak that a little bit, but uh, that's, you know, that's sort of exciting and sort of sends her on this quest in a way. Um, and so I just wanted that, uh, that to be her own story and for it to stand on its own uh, and for her to be able to do something that was not related to these past love interests. I love that. And, and do you feel that impacted the way you were able to lay out um, the panels and tell the story we show you? Yeah. Um, I was actually kind of really excited to take Echo in this direction. And I didn't know how Rebecca was going to treat it, you know, before I had gotten the script in my hands, because I'm, I'm very familiar with the David Mack Echo run, um, but not so much the later um, sort of character usage of um, her in the Marvel universe. So from those, you know, David Mack's work is kind of introspective. It's kind of, uh, you're you're going through like the thoughts mm -hmm. of the character, and it's it's very kind of like, um, 
I guess, introverted in a way, in the way that the character development is. And then to be given the script with Rebecca's work, and it's completely almost the opposite to where her strengths, her physical strengths are being, you know, highlighted. And she's been through all these things. So I think she's hardened a little bit too from her her very first debut. So it, it goes to show like this huge character progression and, you know, what she's developed into now. Um, and I think it really sets her in a, a really cool place of where she can potentially go to. I love that. And so now I'm curious, because both of you clearly are very experienced storytellers. You both clearly love a good story. Um, For both of you, have you always been comic book fans? Is this something that, you know, developed uh, later in life? With Shoyo, it sounds like you've been a comic book fan since you were very young. I have been, yes. I'm, I I developed, I started reading comics, I think in middle school after um, I figured out where to buy them, <laughs> thanks to a friend. Um, my mom bought a Marvel Flare card box at a yard sale for me. And that was honestly my first introduction to all of these characters. And I didn't realize there was books based on them all because it was sort of like a, it was very, uh, a boy's world, I guess, back then. So um, some guys in my middle school class, I brought my Flare cards to school and they're like, dude, like the comic book shops down the street, we should take you. <laughs> So um, once that happened and I went in there, it was just like this whole wide world opened up and I've been a hardcore comic book fan since, you know, middle school. I love it. And Rebecca, what, what, how did you, how did you get into comics? Yeah. You know, I came a little later, probably in college. Um, I think my first uh, comic was Preacher actually. (laughs) Uh, And so I, I loved it. So I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do this. (laughs) Uh, and so from there, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some of the ones, you know, I read back in the day, uh, of course, all the Neil Gaiman, uh, work, um, and, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, things like that. That's what really, uh, appealed to me. So I'm a, I'm a little bit of a late bloomer and I love these heavy narrative sort of dark, uh, comics and what you could do, uh, with the genre, um, and yeah, I guess that's sort of where my interests lay and what I'm hoping to maybe do more of in the future. I love it. And you have such good taste in the stories that you've chosen. I love all of them. Um, and I think that's I think that's also very interesting, right? Because I feel like when you get into this idea of comics and graphic novels and this visual storytelling, there's a whole new world. Is there a di- for you, Rebecca, like you are I won't, I won't say everything that you're doing, but you are writing in a lot of different mediums in a lot of different places, particularly right now. Um, is there something unique about writing for comics that you feel like you learned throughout this whole process? Hmm. Yeah, you know, so, uh, yeah, one of the things I'm doing <laughs> that you're referencing is like being in a writer's room for a TV show. Uh, and it's very collaborative. Uh, but really comics, you know, working on this was the first time I'd done something quite so collaborative where you had to write the words and trust someone else to sort of enact your vision. Uh, and then we also, we haven't mentioned, but we also had a uh, deaf consultant uh, for this work uh, because we wanted to incorporate sign language. We wanted to catch things like making sure that the the characters were speaking face to face since uh, Echo reads lips, uh, like small things like that. So it really felt like a group effort to bring this together and to make it work. Uh, And so that, in a way, believe it or not, sort of prepared me for like being in a writer's room. This is my first writer's room too. Uh, 
uh, and understanding, you know, sort of how the collaboration works and how to write more visually, how to write a script, because it's much more like a screenplay than it is a novel. Well, and I think that brings up a very interesting point. And that's really amazing that there was a consultant to ensure that this was done correctly. And, you know, I know a lot of people who are differently abled Americans with disabilities who are huge comic book fans, massive nerds. And Echo is one of their heroes, right? Like when you, when you think about it, especially for women, because you don't truly see superheroes who have disabilities. And I think that's such an interesting perspective, but I, I, I can guess that that took a lot of intention and maybe some challenges on your end, Rishoyo. What are some of the things that you think you employed here in this story in order to ensure that that was done as accurately as it was? Well, um, another, you know, props to the script and, you know, Rebecca's work on that because she did make notations with all of the different scenes that we needed to have, um, the characters looking at each other or making, you know, physical contact. So the, the lip reading would work amongst the action sequences. So that helped me tremendously. When you do have a character that is dealing with, um, with, with a disability, but also is just a badass. what does it mean to make their start, their story accurate and come off the pages in such a strong way? Yeah, I think it, it really goes to, you know, you have to do your research in it too. Like there was a, a panel that was broken down and that we needed to use um, American Sign Language in order to highlight what Captain Marvel was saying to her. And so Rebecca provided not only reference, but like a YouTube link for me to watch, which was really great. And if she hadn't provided that, I probably would have gone off on my own and researched it. Um, and I, I took uh, American Sign Language for one semester in college. So I, I know very basic things, but um, that was one thing I always really valued about David Mack when he did his storyline on her is he found really interesting visual ways in order to incorporate the American Sign Language, either in um, individual letters or in using the, the sequential art to show movement to create, you know, communications that were not necessarily word bubbles. I, I love that. And, you know, do you feel like there are things that you like we're able to level up with as an artist in, in kind of working on this as well. Yeah, I think it really, you know, allowed me to work more in action. Um, a lot of the time I'm often given like horror comics or sort of slower narrative comics where I'm dealing with a lot of like human emotion back and forth or subtle human emotions. And this really kind of exercised my chops to do some action sequences, which I love to do, but I'm not often given the chance to do them. Um, so I was hoping that I got all of the, the action moves down properly. <laughs> um, that was one thing I was just really stressing on when I was doing the pencils. Like, I hope this looks right. Cause I know people that are, you know, martial artists and stuff, they'll look at something and be like, Oh no, that's not, you know, the right way to do it. Um, so I, I, I really did try to put in as much work as I could to get those panels, you know, as accurate as possible for what Rebecca had written for me. I love it. And so for both of you, you know, you were in a space where, you know, and Rebecca, you hit on this a little bit earlier, and and you mentioned one of my favorite writers. Um, you two are one of my favorite writers, but N.K. Jemison, uh, who like basically like when I tell when when you say she she appeared, she's been break. She bust down doors like her Hugo Award speech is everything, and I listen to it every several months just as a reminder. 
you know, what do you, what would you say to your younger self, you know, looking back on now what you do for a living, not as a hobby, but this is, you really are bringing stories to life. Yeah. You know, I think my younger self would just like freak out. They would not be able to believe that, that this has happened. I mean, I have drawers and drawers of, of notebook paper uh, with fantasy stories and maps that I've drawn and epic poems, you know, and all, all sorts of things. Um, and so, you know, really my advice like to, to younger writers is just keep writing, keep doing it. You know, don't, don't worry about what you think is popular. Don't worry about the market or what you think will sell. Uh, you just write the story that you can write. Uh, that means something to you. Uh, and it might take a while to find it. Like all those, all those notebooks full of paper are mostly, uh, you know, white farm boys being discovered by wizards and going on quests. <laughs> so it took me a while to find my own voice and, and to find the stories, you know, that I uh, could tell um, that weren't so derivative. Uh, but it will come, you know, and so, and embrace it and, and enjoy it and know that, you bring something unique to the table that only your voice uh, can find. Uh, and that if it means something to you, it will mean something to someone else out there in the world as well. Yeah. What about you, Rishoyo? What would you say to your younger self? <laughs> um, I guess believe it. Like I, I still like, you know, wake up or when I'm working on projects, I don't believe that I'm like actually doing the things that I'm doing. And I think the younger me probably would have been just so overwhelmed with so many of the hurdles that were out there in regards to, um, you know, the comics being a male dominated industry or the fact that I was a person of color. Um, and I, I feel like now it's so wide open and more accepting and there's so many amazing people doing amazing things and we're, you know, breaking down barriers left and right that even, even now, I think it's hard for me to fathom some of the stuff that, you know, we're able to do. Um, and it also makes me so excited for the potential future. So I, I guess like, I would just tell my, my past self or my younger self to just keep believing <laughs> that you can do it. Um, yeah. cause eventually it's going to get done. So well, and I think one of the other things, and, and we haven't really touched on it, and I'd be remiss if we didn't, we've talked about feminism and 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 woman power and breaking those barriers, but both of you are also First Nations, and this is Marvel's Voices and Vision's Voices number one. Um, and both of you have also really used your career to change the narrative about um, the depth and the strength and and the intricacy and, and literally the identity of what Indigenous people, First Nations people look like in fiction, <laughs> period, in stop. Um, and those possibilities have broadened for so many people. Why do you, why, and you could have chosen to do that or not do that. Like you didn't have to, that was a personal choice to invest in that way and bring that identity forward. Why do you think it was so important for you as a creative, as an artist, as a writer, to ensure that this was part of your work? And we'll start off with Rebecca. Yeah, you know, for me, I feel like there are so many stories of natives from the 1800s. We seem like stuck in the 1800s. Uh, and it was so important for me to create native characters that existed now, contemporary times, and in the future, 
so my first novel is actually set in a post-apocalyptic near future uh, where natives are thriving. Uh, and in fact, most of the world has gone to hell, but folks on the res, they've been surviving, you know, forever. So they know what to do <laughs> when the apocalypse hits. Uh, and it was important for me to bring forward those stories. Uh, and, you know, really the stories of the people I see around me every day. Like uh, at the time that I wrote that, you know, I had, I had been living on the Navajo Nation uh, with my in-laws, you know, and, and working in this community. And I just wanted the, the people that I saw and the, and the women that I knew, these strong, you know, powerful indigenous women to to be represented in genre fiction, in science fiction and fantasy, which is what I love and which I was what I've always wanted to write. And not just these stereotypes that we see, not these one dimensional characters where there's always just a, a spirit animal or someone's changing into an animal or, you know, whatever the animal is. I wanted, uh, and I wanted complexity, you know, so I wanted heroes, but I wanted villains too. Uh, I wanted a love interest. I wanted, you know, uh, difficult characters to love as well. So just the whole sort of panoply of human emotion and and that we don't often get to see in Native characters. We're often so limited in the cultural imagination uh, to the past and the one-dimensional and to stereotypes. And so that was really my goal is just to write a story that other Natives could read and everyone else too and be like, oh, okay. So we're not all just, you know, Pocahontas or something like that. You know, that there's so many other stories uh, that can be told. I had to hold my tongue on that. No, no one is Pocahontas. <laughs> Pocahontas. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so Rishoyo, <laughs> what about you? Because you have, you have made a very concerted effort to also work with um, indigenous publications and tell indigenous stories through your artwork, like, for you, it, it's so intentional and so wonderful. Why is it so important to you? Yeah. Um, you know, for, for the longest time when I was trying to get into comics, I did not work on Indigenous projects because um, there wasn't real projects that we could tell about our people um, that weren't either heavily censored or edited or fit into a pigeonhole, like what Rebecca said, where we were placed in the past or we were placed into like a Western. Um, and I, I met, um, Michael Shayashi and Lee Francis and, um, you know, they had established like a writer's circle and they, they welcomed me in with open arms. And through that, I found so many native creatives that I just absolutely didn't even know existed. Um, and they created such a safe space to not only share ideas of what they were working on in film, comics, regular writing, but to, let each other know that it was okay to write about ourselves and whether or not it was, you know, for the, the mass masses, or if it was just for us to share amongst ourselves. And in that, I found like so much strength um, because I think I was a little bit bitter about writing about indigenous characters at that point. Um, having always, you know, been the token person, like, Oh, you're, you have an Indian name. So you need to write about Indians and you need to write about them in the past. And so growing up with that constantly, you know, um, something I was having to deal with, I, I just didn't want to do work in that direction. So that was a real turning point, I think, to where I really started realizing that there is safe publishers that were Native Indigenous publishers and Native and Indigenous writers that I could work with to create these projects. 
And, you know, the notoriety for doing them was not why I was doing them. I was doing them because there is such a lack of material um, and a lack of talent and people to look up to. Um, I didn't have any writers or artists that I could look up to when I was a kid that were Native, that were telling Native stories. Um, And so as I started doing more and more projects, I realized that I needed to try to maybe fill that void. And especially after I became a mother, too, um, knowing my kids were going to grow up and that they would potentially see, you know, this void of uh, non-representation, I I started thinking about how I could fix that, I guess. I have a 13-year-old daughter, and she would kill me if I did not, you know, write a Marvel story when I had the chance. (laughs) (laughs) So, I just, yeah. I am glad you had that encouragement from your daughter because I really love this story. And in fact, there's very few times where I will jump in and go, oh, this is, oh, this is amazing. Oh, oh, what's about to happen? Oh, she's about to do what? Oh, did she do that? Like, that's how I felt reading that story (laughs) for the first time. And it just, it shows so much of both of your loves for telling good stories, authentic stories, and stories that can be representative without falling into tropes. And I just, congratulations to you both. I really, really, truly love this. I hope this is not the last time that we see something from both of you. Uh, together or separate. I know this is not going to be um, because both of you are very busy and neither one of you sleep. Uh, but for, you know, for folks who want to find out more about you and more about your work, where can they find you? And we'll start off with uh, Rishoyo. Um, yeah, you can find me at washoyo.com or using my first name as a hashtag on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And you can find me at RebeccaRoanhorse.com. That's R-O-A-N-H-O-R-S-E. Or on Twitter, where I spend way too much time uh, under Roan Horsebacks. I have one more important question. Can we all now be best friends? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Great. Well, I'm done here. But seriously, thank you so, 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 so much. Uh, I can't wait for folks to read your story or reread it now with a little bit more perspective of the background. Um, And yeah, yo, I can't wait to see all the incredible stuff y'all have coming out. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Thank you again, Rebecca and Washoyo. I I know y'all have such busy schedules, but I appreciate you coming on Marvel's Voices. You know, it was seriously so much fun to talk to them about their journeys, their work, their love for comics, and understand a little bit of the story behind their creation of Echo Short and Marvel's Voices, Indigenous Voices Number 1. If you haven't read it and you haven't checked out Marvel's Voices, Indigenous Voices Number 1, make sure you do it now. It is available wherever you get your comics. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Marvel's Voices. We'll see you next time. Marvel's Voices is produced by me, Angelique Roche, Alexis Williams, M.R. Daniel, and Jorge Estrada. Our director of audio is Jill Duboff. Our development manager is Brad Barton. This episode was mixed by Cedric Wilson at Lantigua Williams & Co. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kamal Wainaina. Special thanks to Julie Magruder.